go ahead and get your Bible and turn with me to Daniel chapter five. If you don't have a Bible, do not sweat it. Someone brought you and said, hey, this church is a little different, not very traditional. And you thought, I don't need a Bible. No worries. If you don't have a Bible, you don't have one downloaded, you don't have one you brought in, we have Bibles on either side of the platform. We're going to put all the verses and scriptures that we talk about up there for you to follow along. But we are actually today concluding, we're ending a series that we've been in for really the last uh, five weeks um, called Counter Culture. I know everybody's sad because it's such an awesome series, but Counter Culture. And we've been talking about how do we do that? We need, as a people, we need to counter the culture. Here's why. Because our culture, we, we, we... observe and see is not one that really exalts God. It really isn't one that acknowledges God. And and in some ways, our culture seems to declare pretty radically, we don't need God. Like we don't want him in schools. We don't want him in, in, in government. Like we, we're trying to get God in the box of the church. That's the only place, like if you want God, you can have him in your church. But outside of that, don't let God out of that box. And And so what we're saying is, hey, We're in this world, but we're not of this world. We're actually citizens of the kingdom of God or heaven, but we're living in this world. And Jesus, that's John 17, where Jesus prayed and said, God, don't take them out of the world, but keep them in the world. And so what we said is, hey, if we're going to be in this world, we, we, we don't want to isolate. That would be kind of the religious thing to isolate and say, we're right, they're wrong. It's us against them. We're going to throw truth grenades over or out of our church bunker. We're going to use social media for that and let people know we don't approve of their life choices. Um, that would be isolating. Um, and then we said, hey, we can't imitate the world either. We, in other words, it's not like, well, when in Rome, you know, no, it's not that kind of thing. Well, when in this world, no, 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 no. We, we, need, we need to be different. We need to show them something different. We need to have something to offer. And once we start imitating the world, we no longer have anything to offer the world. We're, we're just the world, right? And so we've been studying the book of Daniel because the book of Daniel kind of speaks to these issues. It's six chapters of history, six chapters of prophecy. It's written around 600, or takes place around 600 BC, that's 600 years before Jesus. Um, And so what happened, King Nebuchadnezzar kind of besieges Israel, the people of God, and takes them into captivity or exile, brings them back to Babylon, which was kind of a practice. You'd kind of take over a region and then bring the people as captives back to, you know, your your country or your kingdom, and then get them to learn your ways, the the ways of your culture. And really, that's what most of them did. And and really, Rome was the first empire to do it differently, because Rome would set up colonies. They'd take over a place, and then they'd put a governor, and they'd set up a colony at that place rather than take everybody into captivity. And so, but King Nebuchadnezzar brings Israel into captivity and the, and the book of Daniel really focuses on four Hebrews, uh, Daniel, uh, Azariah, Mishael, and Hananiah. And so, um, and so, uh, Daniel was what we talked about in the beginning. They, Babylon gave them new names. So Daniel was Belteshazzar was his name, Belteshazzar. And, and, but we know him as Daniel. He wrote the book. And then Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were actually Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Most of us are more familiar with their um, Babylonian names because of the story of the fiery furnace. That's what they're called the most. Um, but we see in Daniel chapter one that culture tries to, here's the thing, culture's trying to name us. Is trying to identify us as something. Um, and, and so we, we need to know who God says that we are. And so we talked about that. 
And so we've talked about a lot of great things throughout this series. Today, um, what we're going to talk about is one of these things in the Bible that's like freaky, all right? And, and if you don't think there's freaky stuff in the Bible, you're not reading it. Like there's a bush that's on fire but doesn't burn. I mean, that's kind of mild. There's an axe head that floats. Figure that one out, right? There's a man that goes, you know, whitewater walking, you know, I mean, that's kind of crazy. There's, hey, first trophy bass tournament, right? Peter catches a fish. It's got a coin in its mouth. That's kind of talking donkey. Don't see that every day, right? And so, so we're going to read about one of those things that it's like, whoa, where did that come from? In fact, I think Daniel chapter five actually inspired a TV show that, that first aired in the 1960s, mid-1960s called The Addams Family. And the reason, because the Adams family had this character, or at least maybe part of a character, his name was a thing. How many remember thing? He was this hand that would come out, right? Thing, right? You remember this? Yeah. I mean, you can YouTube it if, you don't, if you're my generation. You're like, I wasn't around in the 60s. It's okay. It's okay. You can see thing, right? You know? And so anyways, um, we're going to read where, where all of a sudden there's this king having a party and this hand comes out of nowhere and starts writing on the wall. And that's not normal, by the way. Right? That's, no. Uh-uh. So it's kind of freaky, but it, it makes um, for some great truth for us to understand. Uh, so let me tell you what's going on. So Nebuchadnezzar is gone. His grandson, it can be a little confusing because the text refers to Nebuchadnezzar as, as his father, but they didn't have a word for grandfather. So everything was father, father, grandfather, great grandfather, same word. And so Nebuchadnezzar's grandson, Belshazzar is now king. And, um, he, you know, decides to do, you know, he's kind of a trust fund king. And so he decides to do, um, I guess, what all young kings that don't have wisdom yet would do. He throws a party, right? And so he invites a thousand nobles to come hang out with him, wives, concubine, all this kind of thing. They got the DJ going, you know, strobe light, you know, they're having a great, they're having a great, great party. And he's just kind of living it up. And then all of a sudden, this hand appears and starts writing on the wall. And then he has to try to figure out what it means. And it's actually God giving a message to him. And so we're going we're gonna to look at this together. Daniel chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Many years later, King Belshazzar gave a great feast for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. In this context, drinking wine, uh, the, the, the picture is kind of carefree, like no one can touch us. We're above everything. We've got the world by a tail. Because um, uh, if you think about it, he inherited the greatest kingdom in the world at the time. I mean, it was like Alexander the Great, the Roman Empire. It's like the greatest kingdom in the world and it was heavily fortified and and the whole idea was there was nobody that could conquer Babylon like they were good um and so and it really if you study the history the way they were overthrown literally just just like that like in one night you know basically they were overthrown with very little bloodshed it's incredible um but but they'd kind of said hey we're good like nobody can touch us like they're playing MC Hammer at their party right and so um so anyways, while Belshazzar was drinking the wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver cups that his predecessor, Nebuchadnezzar, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem. Bum, bum, bum. Like, not, not smart. He wanted to drink from the, remember though, remember, remember we said Babylon's culture, self-promoting, God-demoting. Self-reliant, God-defiant. That's what, that's what we're seeing. 
So he wanted to drink from them with his nobles, his wives, his concubines. So they brought these gold cups taken from the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his nobles, his wives, and his concubines drank from them. While they drank from them, they praised their idols. I just keep hearing Forrest Gump. I'm not a smart man. That's, that's why I keep hearing. Made of gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Suddenly they saw fingers, here's the thing, fingers of a human hand writing on the plaster wall of the king's palace near the lampstand. Obviously God would write near the lampstand. The lampstand is, is, is kind of in the, in the tabernacle, it kind of um, speaks to the illumination of the Holy Spirit where God is always trying to reveal himself. He's always trying to bring truth to us. And so if God's going to write, he's going to write by a lampstand because he's going to say, hey, I want you to understand. I want you to see. I'm going to illuminate um, some things. So right by the, the lampstand, the king himself saw what the hand wrote and his face turned pale with fright. I would think so because if we weren't reading this in the Bible and we were there, we would have turned pale. Right And his knees, look, his knees had fellowship one another, with one another. They knocked together in fear and his legs gave way beneath them. And so he shouts for his enchanters, astrologers, fortune tellers and says, hey, whoever can read this and tell me what it means, I'm going to give them purple ro robes. I'm going to bling them out with a gold chain. I'm going to make them the third high highest in the kingdom. And, and so just to keep from reading everything that the queen mother actually comes in and says, hey, uh, because none of his people could figure out what this inscription on this wall meant because it wasn't written uh, in a language um, that, that was understandable. It was really kind of like a cipher, which I think is, is kind of funny because God's like, I think he's up there like, I got to warn him. I got to tell him something. But I'm going to write it in something he can't figure out. So he'll have to, in all of his arrogance, depend on someone who names my name. <laughs> and so God's up there like, Farley, Farley, Farley. You know, it's like if you're watching Three Amigos, anyways, never mind. Um, so, um, <laughs> and so, and so the Queen Mother's like, hey, there's a guy in your kingdom. The spirit of the gods is with him. His name is Daniel. And he's been known to figure this stuff out, interpret dreams. You should call him. So he calls Daniel. And he says, hey, Daniel, can you tell me, if you can tell me what this means, I'll give you the robes and the chain and, and make you the third highest. And, and Daniel basically says, you can keep all the stuff. I, I'm not here for the stuff. Um, I'll tell you what it means. And before he tells him what it means, he, he explains that Belshazzar, you should have learned from history. Let's go back to Nebuchadnezzar because you are guilty. Remember, we talked about cultural Kool-Aid and kingdom clarity. And that cultural Kool-Aid was, was that self-indulgent, self-exalting kind of idea or ideology. And the kingdom clarity was, was in, in other words, Nebuchadnezzar went insane because he was promoting himself. Um, he was self-reliant, God-defiant. And so God made him go crazy, like turned into the original Sasquatch um, because his hair grew out, his nails grew out, right? And, and, so, and so he went crazy. Crazy. And, and the Bible says he returned his sanity when he looked to heaven and he acknowledged God, exalted God and humbled himself. And so Daniel's about to say, hey, you should have gone to school because now you've messed up the same way. And so in verse 18, it says, your majesty, the most high God gave sovereignty um, to King Nebuchadnezzar, your predecessor, he made him so great that the people of all races and nations and languages tremble before him in fear. He killed those he wanted to kill, spared who he wanted to spare, honor who he wanted to honor, disgrace who he wanted to disgrace. But when his heart and mind were puffed up with arrogance, 
He was brought down from his royal throne and stripped of glory, and he was driven from human society. He was given the mind of a wild animal and lived among the wild donkeys. He ate grass and was drenched in the dew of heaven until he learned the most high God rules over the kingdoms of the world, and he appoints anyone he desires to rule over them. You are his successor, O Belshazzar, and you knew all of this, yet, look, you haven't humbled yourself. Remember, kingdom clarity, humility. For you have proudly defied, you didn't acknowledge God. In fact, you defied him, the God of heaven, and you had these cups brought in from the temple, and your nobles and your wives and your concubine have been drinking wine while you're praising the gods of silver and gold and, and bronze, iron, wood, and stone. And these gods neither see nor hear nor know anything at all, but you didn't exalt God. You didn't honor God who gives you the breath of life and controls your destiny. So God has sent this hand to write this message. In other words, look, he's saying, look, you didn't acknowledge, you didn't exalt, you didn't humble yourself. You, you, you're drinking the Kool-Aid that takes you the wrong way, cultural Kool-Aid. And he says, so God sent you this message. This message is really not a language. In fact, honestly, it would have been written without the vowels more than likely. Um, and so Daniel had to decipher it really by the Holy Spirit. But it's mine, mine, tikel, and parison. And this is what it means. Mine means numbered because God's numbered the days of your reign and brought to an end. Uh, tiko means weighed. You've been weighing the balances and you haven't measured up. And, and Perizin means divided. Your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and Persians. And that night, his life was required and Darius the Mede took over uh, as, as the ruler. And so it's, it's, it's kind of a crazy passage, but here's the thing. God has actually given him a warning. It's really the warning of impending judgment and doom. But for us, I actually think these can be warnings as well for us. Um, you know, warning labels are, are, are important. Um, because like ladies, if you got ready this morning, you blow dried your hair, um, it's probably good that they told you, I mean, you might would have figured it out, but somebody had to tell us that we shouldn't blow dry our hair while we're in the bathtub, right? I mean, that's a warning label that's on every hair dryer, right? Are, are you with, are you with me on that? I mean, I don't know who figured that out <laughs> there with Jesus now, but, um, <laughs> But warning labels are good. And I almost look at this like some warning labels. I call this message, by the way, warning labels, warning labels. And for fun, I found some warning labels that were amusing to me. I just thought, because warning labels used to be about mitigating loss. Now I think they're more about um, making up for, for stupidity, really. I mean, I don't mean that in a bad way. But, but look at these warning labels. This, this to me is just out of control here. It's like, here's an iron-on. Remember, you can iron stuff on shirts. So if you want to iron Shrek or donkey onto your shirt, it's pretty, I mean, caution. This is good. Big, big label, caution. Uh, it involves a hot, hot iron, obviously, iron-on. Um, and an adult should do this activity. I don't think you should let your three-year-old do it. You should be careful. I think that's really good. The, car, the cardboard transfer is going to be hot. But this last line, I'm like, really? Is there a CPS file open with this right here. Don't iron while wearing the shirt. Like, did... I don't know what happened. I burned myself. I was just trying to iron it on. Anyway, it's crazy. Next one. Next one. The warning label. This is a letter opener, one of those little bitty letter openers. It's got a little bitty razor blade and you just kind of slide it, you know. And, and I think it's really good. Blades are extremely sharp. That's good to know. But this next one freaked me out. Safety goggles are recommended. It's like, how savage of a mail opener do you have to be <laughs> to need you some safety, <laughs> safety goggles? 
Anyway, next one, next one. This, this is good. This is a big, big washing machine, high, high spin speeds. By the way, when you're washing, you know, your, your clothes, uh, don't get in with them because it says, do not put a person in this washer. I don't know who was like, you know what? I could, it would really help me save some time here if I just jumped in with my towels. And um, I, I don't know. This last one, really, this one was the most shocking to me. This is the iPod Shuffle. Um, you know, and so music capacity is based on four minutes per song. Number two, though, do not eat iPod Shuffle. I'm like, who was sitting there thinking, you know, I can store my music on it, and if I really need to pick me up at three o'clock, I can just eat eat that thing. Like, I don't know. Warning labels, though. I think they're good. I think they're good. I think they're good for mitigating loss, and that's what they're all about: is the helping help us not lose, keep us safe. And, and I think we can look at uh, God's handwriting, uh, this message to King uh, Belshazzar, and I think we can apply it to us. And so if you want to take notes, I'll give you these really quickly, and then we'll talk about kind of the, the flip side of it. That's kind of what I'm doing, like one side, other side, really sneaky thing that I do. is pastor trick there, how we learn that. And number one, he says, numbered, your days are numbered, your days are numbered. Why is this a good warning sign? Well, I think it's a good warning sign uh, for all of us to remember to remember that that kind of like the milk in your refrigerator, there's an expiration date on your life. And, and I mean, there's nothing worse than like you get some hot Toll House cookies out of the oven and you go and pour a big glass of milk because those things go together, like peas and carrots and Forrest and Jenny and that kind of stuff. I mean, they go together. And then you tilt that big glass of milk back and you're like, I don't remember milk being carbonated. You know, it's like, that's kind of got a, a grind to it and a grit to it and that's bad. And so we have that warning label on there that, hey, milk has exp- expiration date. And I think it's wise. I think it's wise for us to remember we have an expiration date. In fact, David prayed in Psalm 39 verse four. He said, Lord, um, he said, remind me how brief my time on earth is. Now, that's not a prayer we pray every day, but it's a prayer he prayed. It's kind of a weird prayer, right? Lord, today, remind me that I'm going to die. Well, that's encouraging. You know what I mean? I mean, it's, it's not a prayer we think about, but why would David, because David's a pretty smart guy, pretty successful king. Why would he say, Lord, remind me, I've just got a little time on this earth. Here's why. Because what we think we have a lot of, we don't steward very well. And I think that's, that's where this is, is, is very important is because what we think we have a lot of, we don't steward very well. But when we know we've got a very limited supply of something, we steward better. And I think when we look at our lives, we need to understand the fact that we're, and the Bible says our life is like a vapor. We don't know how long we have. Here's what we do know though. We all have an expiration date. And it could be today or it could be 50 years from now, but we have an expiration date. And wisdom, wisdom is saying, hey, I need to live with the understanding that I have just a limited amount of time to steward here. And I don't want to waste it. I want to use my life for something that matters. I want to use it for something that counts. I know um, yesterday I got a reminder on my phone or I said it's a reminder. I don't know what it was. My phone does stuff. Maybe it's the Holy Spirit. I don't know. But but all of a sudden I got this this picture thing, this like photo album of, of Briggs and I. 
and Briggs, my, my youngest, and, and I was sitting there. I'm like, oh, that's when we went to the waffle shop for the first time. They put a little waffle hat on, and um, we don't really eat at the waffle shop now, but he's still a breakfast guy. I mean, it's, it's IHOP, or he'll let you go to Corner Bakery, but just because they serve pancakes too. And so he's always just been, he's a waffle pancake guy. But anyways, it was like he was like little. He's just, now he's like 12. And, 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 and what I realized back then and, and more so today is, man, I don't have forever with these kids. They're going to grow up. My oldest is driving a car. He's going to want to go to college. He's going to leave me. After all I've done for him, he's going to leave me. And so here's what's wisdom. Like I have a limited amount of time with, with, with Julie and I have a limited amount of time with my kids. I have a limited amount of time with you. I have a limited amount of time. And when I realize it's limited, I might steward it better because here's why. If I'm wasting time, I'm wasting life. Like sands through the hourglass. So are the days of our lives, right? I'm sorry, flashback to like 80 soap operas right there. Of course, I don't know. They may still have days of our lives today. They just keep resurrecting these people doing more plastic surgery. Great, you know, there it is. Anyways, um, so your days are numbered. It's, it's a warning label. Here's a second warning label. Uh, Wade. Wade, he's saying, this was the warning, warning, warning. Your life can get out of balance. Like a balanced life is a healthy life and your life can actually get out of balance. And, and here's the reality for us. Remember, we're, we're not of this world, but we're in it. In fact, we're kind of in two worlds, really. It, it, according to the Bible, theologically, you're seated with Christ. Like you're in the kingdom, but you're also in Babylon. And, and the kingdom and Babylon have very different values, right? They have very different agendas. They have very different priorities. And, and if we're not careful, we can get so caught up in the everyday routines of Babylon and the pressures of Babylon that we can actually get out of balance with our lives. And we can be focused on the things that don't matter and we can be striving for the things that, that aren't really valuable in the kingdom, but it's a part of Babylon. Like, you know, we do have to work, we do have to pay our bills, right? There are things that we encounter, but still, still there's this struggle between these two realms really are our cultures, kingdom and Babylon. And, and if we're not careful, we'll get sucked into Babylon. And we'll start thinking, well, that's really important. That position is important. And, and having one of those is important. And achieving that is important. And being in that group right there, that's important. And, and we'll, start, we'll start striving for really the things of Babylon. And they may not be bad, but they're out of balance. And so for us, the question then becomes, well, how do I keep my life? How do I keep my life in balance? Well, to me, I'm going to use a word that you probably wouldn't think of, but this was what really came to me when I was writing this. I think, I think the best way, in my opinion, to stay balanced, the best way is, is, a, is really comes down to how you steward. Now, let me explain what I mean by that because you're like, steward? Um, Jesus said this, he said, wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart goes. Where you're, when, wherever I value, whatever I value, my heart's going to follow what I treasure. It's going to follow what I value, right? So if I want my heart to be balanced, if I want my heart to move the right way, I've got to be intentional really about what I value and where I place value. 
Are you tracking with me? So really when it comes down to your life, you have three categories of stewardship. You have three things really you can steward. You can steward your resources. We would say that could be money, but a resource could also be your abilities, right? It could be your talents, be what you're good at. Um, you, so you can store, steward that. The other one's obvious. Most people get this one. You can steward your time, right? The third one people don't understand as much. I was having lunch the other day with a guy and I said, to me, I've learned this one to be the most important. Really, it's more important than time. It's stewarding your energy. Stewarding your, because if I don't steward my energy, I could make time for something I don't have energy for and then I'm there, but I'm not really, really present. So what was the point anyway? Right? Like, like, do you want me to be here today or do you want me to have energy and be here today? You see what I'm saying? And, and, so, and so for me, stewarding your energy becomes really important to make sure. Like, like for me, I try to work my day in a way that when I get home, I still have some tiger in the tank. Because me and we can get so tunnel visioned on conquering at work that we're, and, and there we go. We got we to win there because our family obviously needs to eat. So nothing, no condemnation. But you just be grinding, 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 and get to six o'clock and think, oh, I'm done for the day. But you're not done because you have a wife and kids. And so what you have to do is you have to start thinking, well, I'm going to pull back. It's kind of like, you know, for me, I, I used to have a day off on Monday because after I finished with the weekend, it's like, shh, I just want to crash. But then I thought, oh, what if I could go into the weekend rested? So now I take Friday off. So I have a day of rest before the weekend starts because I want to make sure I'm here with some energy. I want to make sure I'm not just here, but I've got some tiger in the tank. Are you with me? So you really just steward those things. So what happens um, when I start stewarding those things which are valuable, your resources are valuable, time's valuable, energy's valuable, what happens when I aim them at the kingdom? And all of a sudden, like number one, I can give finances to the kingdom. And when I put my treasure in the kingdom, it moves my heart there. Like people don't always check this, that God doesn't need you to give money so he can have money. He's doing really well. Right? Like, He's, he's doing pretty good. Um, money is one of the ways that God makes sure your heart stays locked in with him. Right? Yeah. Like, I mean, we can say, let's, okay, let me help. We, we can say, we can say that God's first, but is he? The way you figure out if God's first is how you're steward in these resources. Right? Are you, are you, are you giving? Are you, are you, are you investing in the kingdom? Are you putting your gifts and abilities in the kingdom? Are you spending time in the kingdom? Are you spending energy in the kingdom? I mean, some of you, no, no offense, but some people drag themselves into church and, and, and truthfully, when we get done here today, you'll remember more of the Facebook notifications you got about what people are eating or doing on their vacation. And you won't remember the message because you stewarded time, but not energy. Right? I mean, like you could, you know, that phone, it has this thing where you can turn off notifications. Like, like I have my phone up here, but you know what? I, I turn off notifications. You know why? I don't want anything to distract me from our time together. Right? And the staff, they're working, so stuff will pop up on my phone constantly if I have it on, but I turn off notifications. Why? Because I want, if I'm going to make time, I'm going to have energy. I'm going to have focus. I want to make sure I'm here with you. What good would it do to show up and not really engage because I'm looking, oh, oh, look, honey, this is what they did on their vacation. We should do one of those. Oh, my gosh. What are they doing? 
what did they eat for dinner last night? You know, and you're getting this, hey, what are you doing? Oh, nothing, I'm in church. What are you not in church? You're not in church. You're on your phone. So it was a good intention. It's not going to net you much. Okay, I'll just, let me just move on. That's, Jesus is the answer. And so here's the thing. There's a way that God wants us to value and to live and to focus. And there's a way Babylon teaches us to live. And if we're not careful because we're in this world, we can get caught up striving and focusing on the wrong things. Here's, here's the, the third thing, divided. He said, hey, you're going you're gonna to lose your kingdom. And, and here's the, the, the warning sign for us. We really can lose. I've found most people are betting on something. There are some people betting that there is no God and their whole life and existence is wagered on there is no God. There are people like us that we're betting on there is a God. We believe him to be true and our whole life and existence is betting and hinging on the reality that we believe in God and that he is who he says he is. And some people are betting that nothing bad is gonna happen. Some people are betting they've got today. Some people are betting they've got the next five years and they got a great five-year plan, right? And, and, and here's what I know about everybody. You're betting on not losing. Every person that makes a wager wagers on not losing, right? But the reality is you can lose. You can lose today. You can lose your retirement, right? You can lose your life. You can lose your family. You can lose. And so there's, there's a warning sign to say, hey, what I do matters and I can lose. I mean, I, I really can lose. Listen, and so if I'm wise, I can either focus on the things that I can't lose or I can focus on the things I can't keep. wonder what I should do because I can spend my life focused on things I can't keep or I can spend my life focused on things I can't lose. I can't, I can't lose my faith in God. I can't lose my love and, and his love for me. I, I, can't, I can't lose what he's done in my life. I, I can't lose the impact my life has had on others for Christ. I, I can't lose my time here today. Hopefully, if I don't let Satan rob it, I can't lose the truth that God has given me. I can't lose peace because peace is actually a person. It's not the absence of conflict. It's the presence of a person. And so if I have Jesus, I have peace. And so I don't have to lose my peace no matter what happens. I, I don't have to lose joy because joy, again, is time to Jesus. And so it's not about circumstance or happenstance. It's about him. And so there's some things I can't lose. There's also some things I can't keep. And Babylon will get me focused. You know, there's a story. Um, there's a pastor and he did a funeral for a very wealthy, affluent man. And somebody just said, well, how much, how much, you know, how much did he leave? Because that's the question, like to his heirs or whatever, how much did he leave? And the pastor just looked at him and said, he left all of it because that's what we're all going to leave. So we can focus on what we can't keep or we can focus on what we can't lose. Um, it's kind of this interesting, I've often thought, this is kind of one of those weird things in the Bible. You're like, is this really? I mean, because everything in the Bible I think is very important. And it's like, this doesn't seem very important. But it's when Jesus comes to have dinner with Martha and Mary and Lazarus. And most of us know the story. Martha's getting all busy and she's working, 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 working. And Jesus comes in the house and Mary just sits down at the feet of Jesus, right? And then Martha, of course, gets offended, right? I mean, she's, she's like, whoa, hey. And, and then she does the spiritual manipulation. This is like when you pray to God to talk to your spouse for you. Um, and <laughs> it's not all the time bad, but, but she's like, hey, Jesus, could you tell Mary to, to get off her blessed assurance and help me with dinner? And, and, and then Jesus, Jesus responds 
um, and, and says to her, this is Luke 4, I'm sorry, Luke 10, 41, it says, but he said, oh, Martha, 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 <laughs> you're worried and upset over all these details. Let me, let me put it a different way. You're worried about stuff you can't keep. Worried about stuff you can't control, you can't keep. He said, there's only one thing worth being concerned about, and Mary has actually discovered it. That's got to burn. Burn. Right? And then he said this, and it will not be taken away from her. Here's what he said. You're focused on what you can't keep. Mary's focused on what she can't lose. She's, she's getting to know me. She's sitting at my feet. She's in my presence. She, she's focused on what she can't lose. And you're worried about, I wonder in our lives in Babylon here, since we're just talking and we're friends, I wonder how much we spend worrying about things we can't keep when maybe we could put more concern about things we can't lose. Just... Just a thought. So, so I had warning labels or warning signs and, and, and warning labels. Then I thought, well, I have some wisdom signs, wisdom labels as well. And, and we're just going to flip these. Well, let me walk you through these really quickly. So, so the first one was like, uh-oh, you know, your, your, um, your days are numbered. So if my days are numbered, what should I do? Well, I should live on purpose. Right? If my days are numbered, what should I do? I should, I should live on purpose. Now, here's the trick about living on purpose. You can't live on purpose till you discover it. I mean, that's, that's, and, and really, that's why we're here, Pathway Church, connecting people to purpose is my passion, really. And, and so we have first step, next steps, life groups. Everything we do is about helping you figure out who you are, how God made you, what you're called to do. Um, because I, I, I know from the Bible, in fact, I'll read you the scripture, your purpose can only be found in Christ. Ephesians 1.11 says, it is, it's in Christ that we find out who we are, right? If I want to find out who, who I am, I got to start with Jesus. It's, it's in Christ we find out who we are, what we're living for. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, he had his eye on us. He designed us for glorious living. He designed us for a part of his overall purpose that he's working out in everything we do. Here's what Paul tells the church of Ephesus. Number one, you're created on purpose. So good news, you're not an accident. God, God intended you. The Bible says you were formed in your mother's womb, that you're fearfully and wonderfully crafted by the hands of God. And so if you don't know that, like just so you know, you're not an accident. God made you on purpose. And because God made you on purpose, that tells us anytime you have a design, you have an intention, right? If you're made on purpose, you have a purpose. That's the second thing he said. I know what I'm living for now. I got to know what my purpose is. Well, how do I find my purpose? Well, thankfully, Paul answers that because he says, hey, your purpose is tied to God's purpose. Meaning, the more I understand about God's purpose, the more I'm going to understand what I'm supposed to be doing. Right? So, so the more I get involved with God's purpose, the more clear my purpose becomes. That, that's just the reality of it. If I want to live on purpose, I've got to discover it. How do I discover it? Well, you know, here's, here's what I got to do. I got to start with Jesus. Because my purpose, I come from him. I was made for a reason, but my purpose is tied to his purpose. Now, I've thought about this a lot. Let me give you kind of four ideas if you're trying to discover your purpose. Here's a good place to start. Are you ready? Good place to start. Number one, your purpose is always going to be kingdom focused. 
right? It's going to be kingdom focused uh, because it's tied to God's purpose, right? So it's going to be kingdom focused. Uh, here's, here's the second thing. It's always going to be passion driven. God wired you a certain way. You get passionate about certain things, right? I, I, I get passionate about the, the parts of my job that, that are the most um, fulfilling for me. Uh, you know, I, I get excited. I don't get excited about budget meetings, but, but man, when we're talking about lives being changed and weekends and ministry, I, oh, I love that. I get passionate. See, if you're trying to figure out what you're passionate about, just, just look at this. Number one, what, what fuels me? What fires me up, right? And what frustrates me, what just irritates the snot out of me. Because your passion, those are the two sides of passion, right? You know what fuels me? Somebody finding their purpose. You know what frustrates me? Somebody that refuses to get involved and find their purpose. And they're just wandering around. They, I don't know why I keep, the same thing keeps happening. Well, you went from that relationship to this, well, this happened, then that happened. Well, I don't know. I just patterned in my, okay, let me help you. I get frustrated, right? You're wasting your life. <laughs> so, so it's always going to be kingdom focused, passion driven. It's going to be gift engaging. In other words, God's given you some abilities and talents. He's given you some things that you can work with. So to be gift engaging. In fact, we learned, I think last week, everybody has a spiritual gift. It's going to be gift engaging. And then the last thing is going to be people impacting because God's all about people. And so what, who, who do you want to impact? So it's really, really cool. Like what's God's purpose? What fires me up or frustrates me, right? What am I good at? Who do I want to impact? If I can figure out those things, I'm at least on the right road because now I can live on purpose. So when days are numbered, live on purpose. What about weighed? Weighed in the balance. Well, this means if I need to stay balanced, I got to live by priorities. I got to live by the right things. Well, how do I live by the right things? Well, I have to choose to live by the right things. Here's the problem we have in church. Could we just, okay, take a deep breath because this is going to be pretty poignant. Okay. Um, here's what I know about church people. We know the right answer in church because I was a youth pastor, right? No matter what I ask, somebody was going to say, Jesus, Bible, pray. Because it answered every question, right? What should we do? We should pray. Who should we serve? Serve Jesus, right? What, what is the answer? The Bible's all God's truth. You know, it's Jesus, Bible, pray, right? And so in church, unfortunately, we know the right answer. Because if I said, hey, what's your priority? Everybody said, oh, God's number one. Family's number two, and work, whatever. Here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to look at what you think the right answer is and compare it to how you're living. Because we can live, you know, I mean, no offense, but the children of Israel are not the only people of God stuck in Egypt because there's a lot of Christians living in denial. Right? And, and, and let's just be honest because people say, no, God's number one in my life. Let me, let me help you with that. Look at your checkbook. Look at your checkbook. The day after you got paid, what came first? Because that's number one. I didn't think that would go well, but remember, my job is not to make you feel better all the time. It's also to give you truth. Like, I love ice cream, but broccoli helps. <laughs> right? Man can't live by ice cream alone. I know I've tried it. <laughs> but I'm just saying, people say, well, God's number first. Great, look at your planner. Look at your, or look at your calendar. I'm just saying, don't, let's not be in denial. I mean, these are the same things I do because I say God's first. And then sometimes I'm like, you know, God, mm -mm, I think Babylon's crept in here because I don't, I don't think I've got you in the right place. I don't think I've got work in the right place. I don't think I've got family in the right place. 
I, I think I've, I've got some ambition that's crept in here or I've got a desire that I'm trying to go after. And you know what, God? I think I need to be honest with me first. I don't want to be in denial. I'm ready to come out, cross that Red Sea and, and venture on towards the promised land. But I can't do that as long as I want to live in denial. As long as I'm happy in Egypt, I can't get to the promised land. Denial is a place we all can, because we can all say, well, I know the right answer. I know what I'm supposed to say. I, you know, I, I mean, are, you, are you with me? So we can keep saying, no, 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 I know the right answer. I know what I'm supposed to say. I, I, I know how this goes. Yeah, you know how it goes that's not the question the question is how are you living because we have to live on purpose but when it comes to balance we have to live by priority and and here's what we need to first of all say it's a struggle like it would be great I know people think oh you know it must be great to be a pastor because you just sit around and pray all day <laughs> friend that'd be awesome <laughs> trust me that would be awesome but even the disciples in the New Testament, they're like, oh my gosh, how do we, how do we take care of everybody? Well, we're going to have to appoint this person to be over this thing, this person to be over these people, because, because we, can't, we don't even have time to pray and read the Bible. And we're the disciples, right? And, and so even for me, and, and I don't live your world, because I live in a bubble, the pathway bubble, because I go to work with all Christians, at least they better be, you know. Or at least on most days, you know, I mean, <laughs> I, I go to work with all Christians and, and, and we have Christian values. And we have, so I don't even live in your world where, where no telling who you got to put up with and what, you know, so, so I'm just saying, let's just admit we got to live in this world and it's a struggle to stay on priority sometimes because I do have to feed the family and I do, you know, and I, this and that and whatever. And so we just need to admit it's a struggle. Jesus even told us it'd be a struggle in Matthew 6. This is what he says in Matthew 6. He says, don't worry about these things. Now watch what he says. Say what we will eat, what we will drink, what we will wear. Time out, time out. Because if you don't worry about those things, you're basically on, a, on an episode of Naked and Afraid. <laughs> Am I right? Eat, wear, drink, right? You just got dropped off in the Amazon naked. That's what just happened to you. Praying a python doesn't find you right now, right? While you're trying to find some drinking water. But this is what Jesus said. He's like, look, don't worry about these things. Listen, I would love to tell you I never worry about these things. But I have days where my, where my dryer breaks or my car breaks. I got to call a plumber, right? And it wasn't in the budget. And all of a sudden, I can find myself saying, I'm worried about these things. It's a struggle because I'm not, I'm not of this world, but I am in it. And this is what Jesus said. He said, don't worry about these things. And he said, these things dominate the thoughts of an unbeliever. Oh, God. And some days I'm like, Lord, I'm going to be an unbeliever. <laughs> but here's what he said. Look, he's talking to us about choosing our priorities, he said, but your heavenly father already knows what you need. Thank the Lord. Amen. Verse 33, he says, seek the kingdom of God above everything else. He's given us what I call the law of first priority. And let me explain that really quickly. Whatever is the highest priority for me orders everything else in my life. Let me give you an example. If, if I decided, okay, financial security is going to be the most important thing to me. And that's not even really a bad thing. I mean, it's kind of a responsible thing to take care of your family, take care of your wife, whatever the case may be. But if I decided that it, I'm gonna let that get out of order and creep into the number one spot, watch this. It's gonna determine how much time I have for everything else. It's gonna determine when I see my kids, when I see my family. It's gonna determine when I go to church. It's gonna determine how I pursue my purpose and calling. Why? Because I got something that's not really even a bad thing, but I got it in the wrong place. And now because I got it in the wrong place, it's, it's actually organizing the rest of my life. It's ordering everything else in my life. 
right? And what Jesus is saying, hey, this is law first priority that, hey, whatever's first kind of dominates everything else. And so here's what he's saying. You're going to have to fight to keep the kingdom first. Like it's going to be a struggle, but you're going to have to decide. I'm going to keep the kingdom first. I'm going to be in service on, on Labor Day weekend if I'm not out of town. I'm just going to be here, right? I'm going, to, I'm going to make sure I'm giving. I'm going to make sure I'm serving. Shout out to my serve team, seeing lots of shirts, right? And so I'm going to make sure that I'm fighting to keep this the highest priority because if, 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 if I'm going to be weighed, if, if, if I need to maintain balance, balance will always come down to that priority. So numbered, hey, I can lose, so I'm going to live on purpose. Weighed, hey, I'm going to live on priority, but how about this divided? I can lose, what does that mean? I'm going to live for eternity. I'm going to live for what I can't lose instead of living for what I can't keep. This is what Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 11. He says, no one can lay any foundation other than Jesus. Now, let me, let me help you with this. If he's talking that we can't lay a foundation other than Jesus, and then verse 12, anyone who builds on that foundation essentially means that now we're, we're actually talking to believers, right? Because unbelievers don't have a foundation of Jesus, right? And they're not building on Jesus. So if we have a foundation of Jesus and we're building on Jesus, he's talking to believers, so he's talking to us. So he says, anyone who builds on the foundation, they can use a, a lot of different materials. They can use gold, silver, jewelry, wall, uh, wood, hay, and straw. So he's like, here are the things you, you're actually building with your life. In other words, after Jesus, you're building something. You're, you're, you're storing something up, right? But he said, on judgment day, well, time out, wait, wait a second. I thought believers weren't judged because Jesus was judged in our place. And by faith, we, you know, we've, we've, we've been liberated from the penalty of sin. That's true, that's true. But if you read your Bible, there are two judgments. There's a great white throne judgment. It's called that because it's in the Bible, it talks about the great white throne judgment. Really creative name, just copied it from scripture. But, but that's for unbelievers. Unbelievers are going to be judged there and they're going to be sentenced to eternal death, essentially. But there's this thing called the judgment seat of Christ, theological word here, the bema seat of Christ, the judgment seat of Christ. Um, and, and that is what Paul's talking about. And he's saying, hey, as believers, you're actually going to be judged for what you did after you came to faith in Jesus while on this earth. And so look, look what he says. He says, he says uh, the fire is going to reveal your work, right? So, so, so on judgment day, the fire is going to reveal what kind of work each builder has. And the fire is going to show if a person's work has any value. Now, now he's saying, hey, what you do today, it's either going to be something you can't keep or something you can't lose. And when he says can't lose, he's talking eternity. Because look what he says. He says, but he says, if the work survives, watch this, the builder's gonna receive a reward. God wants to reward you eternally. But he says, but if it's burned up, the builder's gonna suffer loss. And he'll be saved as one escaping through the flames. Here's something that, that I need to tell you is that everything you do after you accept Christ matters for all eternity because there's a reward system in heaven. It's not, we're not clouds. We're not going to be fat cherubs with harps sitting on clouds and togas. That's not heaven. That's hell, friend. But what, what Paul is telling us, and it's all throughout the Bible. I could, I could do a series on it, but 
He's saying, hey, after you come to Christ, you're, it's not like, well, I believe in Jesus now. I'm just waiting, you know, for, for, the, for the bus to get to heaven. He's saying, no, after you come to Christ, now it's how much time do you have to store up for yourself treasure in heaven? And here's what I'd say. If, if Jesus said, Jesus, red words, don't store up. Listen to what he says. Don't store up treasure on earth where moth and rust and dust can corrupt it, but do store up treasure in heaven, right? If Jesus is trying to tell us, hey, don't store up treasure here, store up treasure there, I must need treasure there, and I must not need treasure here. Are you with me? Because when I stand before Jesus, he's going to look at everything I did, right? Serving serving in, in one of our outreach ministries, serving HOD, serving graciously broken. Serving one of these places, that's going to be gold, silver, jewels, right? Spending a few hours on Facebook, creeping on everybody, it's going to be straw. And what he's saying is when you get to heaven, he, God, Jesus is actually going to judge us. And look, at that point, you can't change anything, but everything you did after you came to Christ is going to be an eternal regret or an eternal reward. And so since I can waste my life, since I can lose it, I need to use today to try to send some things ahead. I need to live for eternity now. It's not just, well, I got my ticket punched to heaven. I'm good whenever the horn blows like, whoa. No, 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 no. That's not how this works. Yeah, you might get in, but heaven's a society. I mean, Jesus says one person, enter in and rule over 10 cities. Heaven's going to have a mayor. Right? And, and there's not going to be potholes, so I don't know what he'll do, but you know, important things to do besides so listen to people gripe about potholes. And so, are, are you with me? And so, so, this is what I'm warning you with is here's, here's the warning signs. Again, here's the warning signs. Hey, your days are numbered. You, you don't have forever. Number two, hey, you got to stay in balance. Number three, you can suffer loss. So what do we do? We say, hey, as a people, and this is what we kind of said during this series, as a church and as a people, we're going to live for eternity, but we're going to live for eternity today. And we're going to live on purpose. So yeah, we're going to be at first step. We're going to be in a group. We're going to find out what God has called and gifted us to do, given us passion for. And we're going to find a way not to isolate from this world and not to imitate this world, but to infiltrate. We're not going to reflect culture. We're going to set culture. And so we're going to live on purpose and we're going to live on priority and we're going to live for eternity because while the devil would try to convince us that our life doesn't matter today, what Jesus is letting us know is your life today matters forever. It is valuable. Every breath you breathe, it matters. It has significance. And so live today like it matters forever because it does. And that's what we're going to do. That's how we're going to live. And we're going to change the world around us. Amen? We're going to infiltrate and change it. Amen? Awesome. Hey, why don't you give Jesus a hand? He is so good. And you can stand, stand up.